Ames, host of Nix's podcast, Ames for the Stars. Today I'm joined by the Lurks. Would you like to introduce yourselves and your band? Sure, yeah. So I'm Xavi, I'm the vocalist, guitarist, and uh, sometimes bass player. So something I've discovered recently. Um, and I'm Sabu, and I'm the, well, um, mainly recorder player, I guess, which is pretty funny in a rock band. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also playing lead guitar, I'm playing bass, doing a little bit of percussion, and I'm um, doing my best on backing vocals. And we play Nature Warrior Rock! <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. It's a very exciting story of what I know a little bit about behind all of your story. But what is the main story behind your band name and how it got started with your name? Right. Yeah, we got a pretty funny band name. <laughs> yeah, we've actually, we, we, we noticed that not many bands have like fantasy band names at all. It's like fantasy quite, words as a band name. Yeah. Um, so the l- lyrics isn't the word that actually exists in any language, but um, the story behind it is that it's kind of based on a German word, which is the German word for mute, so for the amphibian, um, and uh, which is Lurch. Uh, so it's L-U-R-C-H is the normal spelling. So we were kind of thinking if you turned that into a plural and pronounced it English, you'd come out with Lurch. And then we decided we'd have to have an umlaut and a double X because at the time, and this is back in 1995, we were just such huge Nikki Six and Mudley Crew fans. And we just figured like, yeah, umlaut and a double X, that's just, like, that's just what you got to have. And the funny thing is that, um, well, we had just kind of discovered this glam rock thing. And um, it was, yeah, like Chavi was saying, it was, it was 95. We were living in London at the time. So... Um, everyone was into Britpop. There was just the Oasis, Oasis. Blur, like, yeah, exactly. yes, everywhere, everywhere. And there was just like no one who was interested in in metal and glam rock. So the funny thing is that we actually thought that um, our knowledge was completely underground. Like we thought that we were like the only people on the planet who knew about Motley Crue and Nicky Six. <laughs> so we just, we just thought that we were going to be like pretty much like the only band with a double X. Um, yeah, right. And then we only, <laughs> only then later we, we moved to Hollywood, and, and they were literally they would run out of X's on the billboards. Like literally, there were all these bands were like Foxy Rocks with four X. <laughs> wow! <laughs> so everywhere you went, yeah, that was pretty funny. Because when we then later moved to to Hollywood, we were actually kind of adopted by the by the remnants of the Hollywood glam punk scene. So we'd be sharing builds with lots of bands of double X's and, and overlaps. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody be having tattoos all the same there. <laughs> so what was the background? You've, you've just said a little bit about going to Hollywood and that. How did you come together? How did the band create? So we, the two of us um, met when we were 12 years old um, at school classic and when we were third and we we kind of hit it off almost immediately yeah but we also hit each other (laughs) (laughs) we went off to a bit of a rocky start but then pretty soon we we really bonded um and we we formed our our first band i think when we were 13 um and we were huge beatles fans and that's really what started it all uh, all off for us so we um 
And we straight away started writing songs together as well. So we never sort of went through this phase where we played covers. We just, from the beginning, was like Lennon, McCartney, okay, that's us. We basically pretended to be John Lennon and Paul McCartney. We just write songs. Um, even before we could really play instruments, we, we, we had very basic knowledge of like three and a half chords on guitar and a little bit of piano. And we just straight away, we just like, yeah, right, we're songwriters now. <laughs> Yeah, so that's, that's how it started. And then we just kind of went through these different phases. We started off as the Beatles and then... And we really kind of, of were the Beatles. So we really were. We Beatles. really lived this John Lennon, Paul McCartney thing. So obviously we just started listening to the music that they listened to. So we kind of, first of all, went back in time and we got into the 50s stuff that they had grown up with. We listened to Skiffle and, you know, just like all the influences they listed. And then we kind of... Um, lived through music history from there. So when we were like 13, we listened to all the 50s stuff. Then we kind of developed back through the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, 90s. Um, Until we came out as we are now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but, but, but we really lived through this entire music history. Yeah. Um, and and we, we really spent our childhood basically in the, in the 50s, which is quite funny. We, we took that so seriously, there also aren't any color pictures of us. Um, but only very few because we yeah. then buy the black and white films for our cameras to create this illusion of we live in the 50s. It was <laughs> very, very, we were very professional about that. <laughs> and the, the, the lyrics are basically our fourth band. So the first band was the College Mates. That was the Beatles band. And then the second <laughs> band was called Bloody Blues. That's when we got into the Rolling Stones and into the blues and did that kind of stuff. The third band was called Speed. That's when we got into sort of mod and punk and uh, and that all that scene. And then the fourth band was Black Lurks, which we formed in 95. And um, and which really kind of coincided with, with this Britpop thing and it yeah. just didn't work at all. It, it just, um, we had such troubles finding people who wanted to be in a band with us. We were looking for, for a drummer and- <laughs> Walking through London, literally like a sandwich man with like big placards saying, if you're a drummer, please talk to us. So we, re we really tried and people just, some, I mean, we had like two people talk to us or something, but it was just, it was just somehow, we, we would have had to go somewhere else outside of London, I think, where there was more of an underground scene. Um, yeah. But we just, uh, we just didn't, didn't really have that idea at that time. And then because we were reading all the Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue biographies and it, it said, well, what they had done was that they went to LA. So we were just kind of like, okay. All right, so that's obviously that's what, what you got to do. That's what we're gonna, we had no idea. I mean, it was 95. There was like, this was pre-internet times. So we had no idea about LA. We knew fuck all. We, we just had- Are we allowed to swear on this podcast? Oh, I don't know. You're Are fine. We? It's <laughs> our podcast. <laughs> we can swear. We knew, we knew nothing. We just, um, we knew everything we knew, we knew from songs, we knew from these biographies, and we just kind of assumed that probably there was still a music scene in LA. Um, and then we just went there, just with no knowledge at all. Um, and that was kind of, well, we were 18 years old. So when you're 18, you just kind of, you just don't think about stuff. So we went there with the, on a tourist visa, um, and uh, threw the visa away as soon as we arrived because we knew we wanted to stay longer than three months. Um, so we just kind of got rid of the visa. We had our guitars, we had one rucksack, we had a thousand dollars in cash. And that was it that kind of started off our Hollywood adventure. Wow, that was a little bit risky at 18, but I admire it. It's it was, but, but you know, we just thought we were grown up. 
<laughs> we looked like we were about 15 or so. We looked super young. If I we look, no. we're quite small, like stature wise, short, like yeah. short, short and skinny. So, like we, especially in comparison to the Americans, we just looked we we just looked like kids. Yeah, um, yeah. We, and we were very. I mean, we lived on the streets for like two weeks or so before we found an apartment. So, sleeping rough and sort of trying to um, not get into trouble. <laughs> So yeah, it was what you would expect, sort of like. So, uh, but but we really thought we were we were adults now because yeah. we had turned eighteen. We also we didn't tell our our parents or anything. You know, we just bought the 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 flight tickets and decided to go to LA. Um and God, yeah, my mom had a meltdown when oh, she found out. Like, <laughs> like, and I was just like, what, what what's your problem? Like I'm eighteen and years old. Like, she was like, why didn't you tell us? It's like, well, you know, we don't have to tell you anything. <laughs> We're not going to anymore. Yeah. That would have been a scary concept for the parents. Yeah. <laughs> How would you describe your music? What would you say it plays on? It's um well, nature warrior rock. So it's rock. That's at the basis of it. We're we're a rock band, but we play it with a lot of punky energy. We we do honor our punk roots. Um, so a lot a lot of the attitude is I think comes out of punk. It's very positive. It's energetic, but it's not like aggressive energetic. It's positive energetic because we deal a lot with such important topics like nature, nature protection, human nature relationship, but we don't want to be one of these really doomy bands that is just like talking about how awful everything is all the time, but we want to kind of show people how beautiful it is and inspire positive activism. So the so the, the vibe of the songs is just energetic and positive and sort of in, to inspire people to act and do something rather than just hide away and be like, oh my god, everything's going to shit. So yeah, um, and and sometimes sometimes we just kind of have these very beautiful songs, um, which tend to probably be also like the, the bit more ballady, a bit more slow ones. Maybe they're a bit more serious. Um, and I think the the stuff that's just like a bit more upbeat is also partly more humorous um, because we really try to bring in the this lightheartedness. Um. Yeah, we have this one song which is about leopard slugs. <laughs> it's like about slugs that would show up um, in our living room. So this is a true story, yeah. right? Because we live in a really old cottage, so the slugs just sometimes come through the um, floorboards. I um, have the same problem. Right? <laughs> and you say like, well, that's not really a problem because, you know, they come in and they go out again and, you know, you can feed them some lettuce from your bread and the... And then in the morning you find their trails on the on the carpet, and uh, and we just wrote this punk song about it, which is very tongue in cheek, and it's very it's one of our most explicit songs because we're kind of talking like to people who um, are putting out slug pellets and are trying to get rid of them, and we're like, yeah, bitch, mm. or like the slugs were here before you, bitch, your head's full of shit, and but it's all kind of tongue in cheek because the the whole topic is so funny. Um, so yeah, that's a lot. We, we do that kind of stuff a lot. That is kind of, we, we contrast really weird lyrics with them, like um, just a way of bringing it across that will make people think, but it will make people laugh as well. And that's really important to us. Yeah, because we want to get people to think about these, you know, serious topics, like where do we stand as humans? Um, how do we interact with, with the natural world? And exactly, and how do we treat our, our fellow beings? But we, we just don't want to do it like in a, in a, in a preachy way that would make people feel very uncomfortable. Like we, we try to make people smile.
people do forget how big we are and how much we affect what's smaller and what's around us, don't they? Yeah. they so that is a really nice way to pop it out there. You mentioned before about your creativeness and being like Paul McCartney and John. How how does your creative process get going? How do you get your juices going? Uh, a lot of it comes from just long, continuous conversations that we have all day long. I mean, we spend our lives together and uh, and still we never get tired of talking to each other. So I think we have this way of just where we, we just, talk about stuff all day, like about politics, about nature, about philosophy, about all sorts of stuff. And then about we kind of, things we see, about things we hear, about things we read. Yeah, we're just, we're just nonstop talking, <laughs> <laughs> talking to each other. And we do take a lot of walks and we, we live in a very beautiful place and we're out in the woods a lot. And we just kind of, I think that's, that's what, what, gets us going we'll talk about something or we'll see something and then just an inspiration for a song comes out of that and then we'll just kind of be like oh wow that's a song and then it might it might start with one lyric or it might start with an idea for a concept that we're just doing we're, we're working on a very conceptual song at the at the moment which relates to shifting ba the shifting baseline syndromes so it's very academic so sometimes we draw from academia because um, we're both like we both studied and um and we have that academic side and then sometimes it'll just be like well look a hoverfly and let's you know, write a song about hoverflies did you know that they need stagnant water to put their eggs in and then we kind of write a, a song called hoverfly lagoon and so it's, it's really that sort of stuff that just it's like a it's like a pool table like the ball just kind of you know you shoot the one ball in and then everything just kind of goes bang 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 all over the place and that's that's how it kicks off. And we're, we're pretty much always writing as a team. So we yeah. just like throw ideas back and forth um, until yeah. it's a finished song. It's, a song. it's very, very um, seldomly that, that one of us will bring already a big chunk in. Like most of the time, it's really we're building it up together. And then sometimes so I like <laughs> <laughs> So much that you can see in nature that you could talk about and try and get it out there. It's... I, the juices could keep flowing all day with that, couldn't they? Yeah. Just, and we are very, very spoiled here in the UK. We have lots of beautiful places where Mother Nature just—it's fantastic. Um, yeah. How would how would you describe the music and art in being important to society? Ooh, where do we start? Um, well, you almost kind of specialize in that. I almost kind of specialize in that. So I um, I studied. Uh, marine environmental protection and uh, environmental sciences. And what I, I went out and did, um, I formed my own charity during the pandemic and we um, did outreach work, but with a special focus on integrating the arts into that science communication outreach, basically to get people to engage with it on a more emotional level. And that's also now I'm working as a project manager for a local charity doing some climate change resilience community work and there it's the, I concentrate on the same thing bringing in the arts in order to communicate um, the climate crisis and what you can do and how you can uh, wrap your head around things and sort of get emotionally involved um, so I think that's really what what art does in society it's because, it's, because it triggers emotions triggers emotions because there's so much that we know with our heads and our brains and and we still somehow feel feel um, like 
disconnected from from it because we haven't really processed it emotionally. So that's, I think, what art really it's, does. It's, it's really kind of interesting because, because Xavi, um, um, last year in his, in his work, he did this, um, this survey, this, this neighborhood survey, um, where like the result was really fascinating. It, it really showed that I think around 90%, over 90%, over 90% of all people were like totally on, on board with this idea of we, we need massive changes in order to save the climate. We, we all need to change our, um, our behavior. And, and they were all um, super, they, they knew everything basically, but they just didn't act. Like the, the result was like they, they said, oh, it's really important that we change, but the result was also they don't do anything. Yeah, when they asked, when asked what do you do in your everyday life, it was, it was like, like, oh, we, we recycle. recycle. Like, yeah, <laughs> congratulations, that's going to get us very far. Yeah. So, um, so that was really interesting. It really showed that people know about the problems, but they don't act. They and, don't and, act and we just yeah. think that just this, this pure knowledge is just obviously not enough of a motivation for people to really act. So they need a more emotional driver, I think, yeah. to, to, to drive them to actually act. So, and and yeah. we think that that's something that art can do, that's something that music can do, and that's something that we try to do with our music. Yeah. Definitely. And there's lots of people out there who need who need that type of music, who need to understand how they feel about the things around them and their emotion. And it works well when people can touch on that. Um, how do you balance all of your music? You've just mentioned that you're doing everything there with your charity work, you, you know, do you spend time trying to get creative, you know, where do you get time to put everything in place and put it all around your daily no. work? <laughs> I don't know how we do it. We live, we, we literally have lists everywhere. Like we have something up our wall where it's like, what, what do we have to do this week? Um, we have like checklists in our calendars of all the stuff that needs to be done. So I think we just try to, we just try to organize our lives as efficiently as possible. Um, but on the other hand, it's like we we don't um, really plan our our days through. Like we we somehow we just like get up in the morning somewhere and, and then we just start working and then somewhere at night we fall into bed. But <laughs> but we very often actually don't really have um um have a have a day that that's structured through. I mean we're gonna have like some fixed appointments and um, because we're both also teaching so we have some fixed appointments where, where students just booked us in um but other than that we we live a very free life it's like yeah. very often then we just look out of the window look the sun is shining let's go out um yeah. and i think that's why we managed to have i mean i'm working four jobs so there's the band there's the um the work i do as a project manager there's the teaching and then there's like some work i do for um the iucm in uh, where I'm doing like proofreading and a bit of social media and stuff. So it's four jobs, but I think the reason I can do it is because we lead such a free life and I kind of get a lot of energy back in um, by being able to structure my life myself. Like I could never imagine, I, I had jobs sometimes in my life where I was employed and I needed to follow someone else's rhythm and I found that that exhausted me way more even though I worked less hours uh, than working all day, basically, but at my own pace. And I think because we just do stuff when we when we feel like it. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Shall we rehearse now? Yeah. All right. Um, 
Yeah, that, that is constrained a bit by neighbors. Rehearsing doesn't always work. Yeah, but but I think but I think that's kind of like our recipe that yeah. um that we just like try to do things whenever we have the energy for this very task, and it's kind of optimizing it. Yeah, and it happens relatively rarely that we um, have to stay up until like four at night to finish something up where the deadline is the next day. It does happen, but very, but very rarely. rarely. Most of the time, it really does work mm. out. It can be like that, and getting that balance in life is. It's hard, but like you say, if you've got that free space to, to think, and like you say, you're doing lessons, you've got everything worked out with your project manager space and creativeness, it is about getting balance and just taking your time and making that space, isn't it? Um, and setting it up in a way that feels good for you. Yeah, that's it, and being comfortable. Um, yeah. I do a lot of, it's not worth trying to push what you're trying to do when you're creative. You need to be comfortable mainly, don't you? Um, what are your ultimate career goals? What are you thinking in the future? I'll be rich and famous. What <laughs> <laughs> <Are> we want. <laughs> yeah. But um, well, what's really important to us is our message. Yeah. So we, um, oh. we do want to reach as many people as possible because we just hope that our message touches them. Yeah, so that was one um, of our, I think, the main drivers when we went, we started the band back up. We first thought, well, in 2020, when we had the idea to start the band again after 20 years of, of just doing other stuff, um, we sort of thought, well, we're going to do it semi-pro. We're just kind of going to do it, you know, like seriously, but but not with the idea of really making it a main sort of thing. And then it completely escalated <laughs> and just got out and it was like, okay, semi-pro doesn't work. We're going to do this like the pro full thing, on yeah. again. And now we're, we're this year, we're investing a lot of time and money into the band to kind of get it to the next level. So, and, and the driver behind that is not so much that we want to earn a lot of money with it, but that we really want to get the message to as many people as possible. But that said, we also do want to uh, get to a stage where it does at least um, get the money back in that we put into it. And then yeah. it also creates a bit of an income. Um, because we're, we are pumping at the moment. We're just pumping we're money. We're just like spending all our savings <laughs> on it now. <laughs> yeah, but, but definitely the main driver, like, like Charlie was saying, is, is that we want to get the message out. I mean, as I was saying earlier, it's like we're we're just like trying to wrap these serious topics in 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 songs that are um, designed to make people feel better. Like we really hope that we can help people with their eco anxiety because that's something that we very much grew up with. I mean, we grew up in the '80s, and when you were uh, '80s and early '90s, um, you know, when you when you were concerned about nature back then, you were so alone. Like people didn't take you very seriously. They just thought you were some weird hippie. It was very like subculture, um, and um, and just that yeah. it just felt so hopeless, you know, because everyone was just like happily destroying everything, and. Um, so we really grew up with a lot of eco-anxiety before it was a word, right? Before it was a thing. Yeah. Um, so we really know what it feels like. And, um, and we, just, we just really hope that, that we can help people with that, with that feeling. Yeah. Um, Definitely. In the 80s, things did seem a little bit simpler. But in some moments, there was, there was manic moments with rebellion and... And seeing much settlement in a lot of people at the time. Yeah. 
Um, how would you define success? What What would you think that success sounds like to yourselves? I think um, reaching as many people with your art as possible. I think that would be my the ultimate success to me would be being someone who stands for uh, a good cause, who's like fairly well known and because of that has somewhat of a platform to get the message out there. Um, and, and ideally be remembered, right? Yeah, I mean, legacy. Le I think that, sure. yeah, I think <laughs> legacy is uh, definitely a thing. Um, would be beautiful. Yeah, yeah, just leave something, leave something lasting. I think leave, that would be the definition of success. Leave, leave something positive yeah. behind. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to take a look at one of your songs now from your album, which is Music for the Planet. Um, I wanted to choose myself out of a few you sent me, um, Smash the Dam. Now, mm -hmm. I love that. So <laughs> I've chosen that one myself personally because I, I find right. that really great. But I'm not going to let everybody know about it too soon because we'll come back and ask you about it. Okay. All right. Let's go. Let's hear it. Flowing free, a dark, stormy night. 
Okay, so we've just listened to Smash the Dam and I absolutely enjoyed it. I can't wait to get the next song that we're going to listen to now. But um, later, I should say, not now. I could play it now. <laughs> <laughs> but no. Um, so what, what? how did that all begin? How did you get going with that song? Yeah, that song has an oh. awesome story. Because <laughs> <laughs> I want to know the story behind that, that one. That was our very own Spinal Tap moment, that song. Um, that's actually an old song. It's a rewrite of an older song. So it's a song that we wrote back in 1997. Um, and originally, this song was called Druid Stones. And yeah, it was our own Stonehenge kind of cheesy song, stones rising out of the mist and all that, all that really bad stuff, metal Stonehenge Druid stuff. And then, and then our drummer was like, guys, this is a great song. I really love it. But do you know the movie Spinal Tap? <laughs> and we're like, and at the time we were like, no. And then we watched it and we we're like, oh. oh. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> And we performed it back then a couple of times, and people actually also really liked it. I think, you know, they liked it musically. <laughs> and it still has the, the, the kind of... That's still there. And then we, when we now um, restarted the band, we were kind of like, oh, I'd be cool to do something with that song, but not the lyrics. <laughs> it's just like, too cringy. <laughs> Um, and then we decided to write a song about eel migration instead, which is just logical, logical <laughs> thing to do, like you know, you know, from Druids to eel migration. Why? You know? <laughs> so now it's uh, it's one of our it's one of our most scientific songs, I think. Um, and every time Charlie is singing it, he has to concentrate really hard, not just think eels rising out of the mist. Yeah, with <laughs> stones rising out of the mist with the first lyric, like the first line. <laughs> it's larvae adrift from the south. So it describes the entire life cycle of the European eel. It starts with the larvae that are um, in the um, Sargasso Sea, so in the south, and they, they ride on the, they drift like plankton almost. They, they're very tiny, see-through little, uh, they're amazing, like the see-through larvae, they're tiny little things. And they're on the Gulf Stream, and they come back to, to Europe, um, and then they reach the coasts, and then... Um, they're called glass eels because they're so see-through, but they're a bit bigger now. And then they swim up the rivers. As elvers, they reach the rivers, so that's elvers the next stage. Um, and then they turn into yellow eels, and they spend a bunch of years in the rivers. And, uh, and then they return somewhere when they turn into silver eels. So they, they, they literally change color, which is really cool. And then in, like, dark nights, they swim back into the ocean, and they go to spawn again. Um, in the uh, in the Sargasso Sea, so it's just an amazing. I mean, it's just so insane that they would do that, and there's still very little known about it, and it's, it's very cool. And of course, dams are a problem. Yeah, because they can meet. Um, I mean, the rivers are there are incredibly many barriers, and they can reach only about maybe ten percent of the actual, um, like the their original habitat. Um, yeah, so that's yeah. a huge issue for them. And and I kind of hold it the personal grudge against dams because um so um my grandfather actually was a um um an engineer who was constructing dams and it was like constructing river dams like in the ah uh, I don't know in the fifties and, and sixties and stuff. So yeah. My, so you're making up for that. I'm trying to make you. up for what my grandfather fucked up there, yeah. Oh, well, back in the day, we just needed to get a job to keep happy wife, happy life. Oh, yeah, of course. Now. 
<laughs> oh, he, he didn't know what he was doing. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's like smash them and break the barrier. And yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's the call to action. And then we have this big explosion where like the dam, the dam kind of breaks. And then it ends with a little little uh, nod as well, because it ends with that. Are you fucking ready? Because eels are, eels are. And I always wait for someone to notice what that's quoted from. Because um, that's actually like a, a quote, almost a, well, not. Well, it doesn't say eels in the it original. It doesn't say eels in the original. <laughs> but the original is, are you fucking ready? Because I am, I am. And that's actually a 6 a.m. song, um, Barbarians, I think. And, uh, oh. and 6 a.m. are a hugely important band for us. I have a 6 a.m. tattoo. I don't know if you can see it. Oh, yes, we can. Yeah. <laughs> so they're a very important band for us. Um, because they were part of us getting back into full-time into music. They were kind of part of that inspiration. Um, so it's a nice thing that we just have this little nod to them there in the end. Going off that, um, you were saying a little bit about the Beatles as well, and Six. What, what are your inspiration? What is your inspiration? Who do you collect all your ideas from, or how do you feel from who? Do you mean like our musical influences? And yeah, like who do you admire? And I know you said the Beatles before a little bit, you when you were younger. It kicked it off. Yeah, the Beatles kicked it off. We're actually now not so much um, into them anymore. Uh, music, Musically, we really always liked the very early stuff they did, almost before they, when they were still in Hamburg and this really raw, kind of really energetic raw stuff. And their first album is amazing. Um, actually, the later stuff, uh, we don't even like that much. But that early stuff is just, that's just, it's almost like punk rock. I mean, they had such a, such an energy. energy yeah. and that, yeah, like you say, Motley Crue before, it's just <laughs> that, yeah, you love that yeah. energy. I, I, think, yeah. I think one thing that we still have from that, that, that Beatles time, like from our Beatles fan time when we were 12, I think one thing that really stuck with us is that energy. And that's something that people keep telling us is, um, Oh, you're so energetic. And, and I think that started for us with the Beatles because when we were 12, 13, we'd just be standing in, in Chavi's basement um, with our out-of-tune acoustic guitars and we'd just like, be cranking up like this really, really early Beatles stuff. Like, Beatles Live at the Star Club 61 or in, something. In Hamburg. And we'd just be bashing out our F chord, which was like the only chord we could play. <laughs> and we'd just be feeling it. Um, so... I think I think that's one influence is, is just that that energy um, of that of that pre Beatlemania, just that feeling of oh there's something big coming. I think that stuck with us. And yeah. and and apart from that, like one thing that that I'm really um, that I'm really influenced by, I think are just almost like single sounds. I wouldn't even really say. Songs yeah. like, for example, one thing that that I always loved was the way that that Jeff Beck used um, his guitar to illustrate um, parts of the lyric. Um, so, so that's that's one thing that that I think I really picked up. It's just that idea of that you can use single sounds to to illustrate the lyric. Like you, you, I think it's one thing that we that we try to do quite often that you have to. Um, the story told in in the lyrics, but you also have the instruments tell yeah. the story. A lot like Rod Stewart and Jeff Beck in the Jeff Beck group. That that was Truth Beckola time late sixties. That that was really a huge influence. And 
taking it from there, I think we're very influenced generally by seven, late 60s and 70s rock because of the, just the, all the experimentation that was going on. Um, so we, we really like that open-mindedness and just like putting in different instruments and like having daring to have longer songs as well, not always just these little three-minute radio ditties, but just um, I think we, and we like that kind of early groove, like early Aerosmith, that sort of stuff. I think that's, that's something that keeps coming out in, and in our stuff as well. One, one thing I remember that really blew my mind was like, I think I was 13 or so when I for the first time uh, heard um, that record that John and Yoko did, Two Virgins, where they were just like recording sounds. Um, mm-hmm. And that just blew my mind, like the idea of that you can just like press any sound on record, you know? It's just like you can... I remember we were then running around with our tape recorder. Um, we were like running um, around um, in our flat and, and just like recording the toilet flush and stuff like that. And we, we thought it was hilarious. But it was, it was just this moment when we kind of realized also what art can be. And that's actually one thing. Freedom, like that yeah. freedom. To, you can just do whatever you want. You can just do, you can do whatever you want. And that's and, and empowering. One, and one thing that kind of, I think, stayed with us from, from, from that, and maybe even from the two virgin experience, I don't know, <laughs> is that we like to uh, use um, just sound bites. Like, we, we, for example, um, we like to... Um, use nature sounds like when when we have a song about a bird we're gonna put in a bird sound you know or like in smash the dam you heard it that was this water sound um so we, we like to we like to do that in Eldorado we have a frog jungle frog we do we do that's something we really we really like and I like to make sounds myself as well yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I think it's it's really um it really goes back, like, like we were saying earlier, because we kind of went through music history in our personal development. We kind of picked up little bits and pieces all along the Absolutely. way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think musically, and we keep discovering new stuff. Like we pretty recently got into um, like the early Van Halen stuff, which was never something that we listened to a lot. But then we just kind of discovered it now relatively late. Um, and and then that if you listen to your badass, for example, that's kind of like inspired by some of that early Van Halen stuff because we just like the energy and we kind of like the the way that um that sort of wild abandon that that they have. So yeah, I think it's very varied. Definitely. Very, and I mean, I'm I'm a recorder player, so um I I don't at all listen to other recorder players, but I think that um a lot of my technique I've actually picked picked up watching um. Pipers, you know, busking in London, and well, I um, love Chinese. Um, yeah, and I, I listen to a lot of I listen to a lot of Chinese music, um, which is which is quite flute based, and yeah, we just really pick up inspirations all over the place and lots of different styles. I also sometimes like to listen to classical music, um, and like the way they're harmonizing melody there. So you just keep all the channels open. Yeah, all, all absolutely, the time. <laughs> absolutely. Just stay open minded. I think Izzy, Izzy Stradlin once said something very cool, and he said that he just loves, he was asked, like, what, what's your favorite music or style of music? And he just said, well, I just love music. Mm. Like, that's just what I love. I love music. And I think that's a cool thing to say mm. um, because it is so open-minded and it gives you so many options to pick up. You're muted now. Can't hear you. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
a lot of people they don't understand like sounds are very important and people are starting to take notice now a little bit more aren't they there's a lot more things going around with like TikTok channels now where it's all about the sounds and taking time to listen so it's very relevant right now with what you're doing there yourself um what have you ever found that maybe some advice that you've ever had maybe off a musician or someone you've ever spoke to is quite inspirational to yourself has give you some good advice we just had an uh, such an experience recently um, where we went to see uh, Steve Vai, he was doing a little sort of guitar clinic kind of thing in Guildford. Um, and he was, a, he's such an inspirational speaker. And he was talking about um, how he deals with nervousness on stage. Um, and that was really inspirational, especially for you, because like he really hit on something that you were struggling with, right? Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, it's interesting because when uh, when we were making music back uh, as youth, um, I mean, we were very full of ourselves. <laughs> we were, we were, we were real little bastards. We didn't care about the audience at all because we just didn't care much about others, honestly. Um, we, we just totally lived in our own world, did our own thing. And um, I was, as a youth, I, I didn't know stage fright. I was never nervous on stage because I just simply didn't care about the audience. I didn't care that there was anyone listening. Um, and when we now got the band back together, um, I'm a much more sociable, nice person now. Um, and all of a sudden, I kind of cared about the people <laughs> who, were, who were listening. And I realized that that made me nervous because all of a sudden I was interested in their opinion, you know. <laughs> um, and... Uh, yeah, the, the the first shows we played, I was I was really quite nervous, and it was stupid for me as a recorder player because I couldn't breathe right. Um, I kind of felt choked, you know, and you need to let it flow, and I just couldn't. And um, what was interesting, what uh, what Steve Vai was talking about now was that he, when he's performing, he's just really connecting really deeply with his music like he really says that he's just going really deeply into the single note and to me it kind of sounded like he's actually also not looking at the audience much he's, he's someone who's very much then inward focused yes and I think that that's just the right thing for me to just really concentrate on the on the music and and not um care too much about the audience for a different reason than when I was 18 when I just wouldn't rate a few people um, but so, so now it would be for me a different motivation to kind of get the best out of you by inward focusing and yeah. what, what he said was that basically he said that's okay like there are people who are outward facing on stage and who enjoy communicating with the audience and then there are people who are inward facing but both is all right and both is like you don't have to stress about trying to do something that doesn't come out of you because he's basically saying um people are going to enjoy watching you make your music and even if you you know i mean there are uh i think jim morrison is a really great example for that because he was very much in himself when he was performing he was still a great performer he was amazing to watch people were mesmerized uh, but, but just by they were mesmerized watching him just be in his own world. Yeah. And, and that can be a fascinating performance too. And I think that the, 
Um, what's interesting about the two of us, I mean, in many ways, we're super alike. I mean, people keep asking us if we're twins. Um, but I think as performers, we're the absolute opposite because I think I'm really inward facing and Xavi's totally outward facing. Yeah, I'm always, because I was always the singer as well as the guitarist. And I just, I, I communicate with the audience. I do the, I talk between the songs. I kind of look around the audience while I'm performing. So I really thrive off that outward facing thing. It doesn't make me nervous. Um, at all. Um, and I think it's just kind of cool to, to realize that, that both is okay. And that, that again, it's just about finding what works for you and with what you feel good, like with what you're comfortable. Um, and if you just go full in with what you're comfortable, um, you're probably also going to get the best, get the best out of performance you. out yeah. of it. That's that it. Our risk assessment's a bit different as we get older and we look at things a little bit harder, don't we? So like you were saying, when you're younger, it's it's, it's all carefree, but once you're oh, older, yeah. you start looking at risks a bit more and what people thinking. Yeah. So I totally yeah. get that. Yeah, totally. Um, do you actually come from a musical family? Does anybody in your family do music? Yeah, I do uh, come from a musical family. So my, my dad is um, a pian pianist. Well, he doesn't, he doesn't um, earn his money with music, but he is a very accomplished pianist and he plays the bandoneon um, as well. Uh, I didn't feel that that played much of a role in a way in my musical development because I always actively really disliked all the music that he played. Um, I really dislike the piano as an instrument. I like it better now, but like growing up, um, I really disliked it. He played a lot of music by sort of Brahms and Schubert, which I really actively, could, I could not stand it. Um, I hate the bandoneon uh, when he plays it because he only plays tango and I can't stand tango. So it's like, I probably have all sorts of like issues with my dad. Um, I get along quite well with him actually by now, but, but our musical tastes just are like, like this, but there was always music around when I grew up. So my, um, my mom's, a, my mom was singing, my dad and my mom did a lot of programs together, which they kind of put up, um, also kind of besides their work, like, uh, they were working very hard on that kind of stuff. And she was also for a while singing in a rock band. She had more like the rock taste. She would work out in the morning to Iron Maiden killers. <laughs> and they're both, uh, they were both like really into the Beatles. And um, so I got a little bit of that there. But they were, interestingly, they were never really supportive of me being a musician, um, even though they were musicians themselves. So that's actually, um, yeah, I don't but know. They didn't like I, your style of music. Yeah, they kind of like, like. I also I also really remember that. Um, for example, when we had our rock and roll phase, your mom thought it was horrible, and I remember you were standing in the uh, you were standing in the bathroom. I remember that scene so well, and you were you were like doing I was your, doing my hair, like I was doing my like duck ass. Duck ass hair. And she, <laughs> she just hated it. She just hated it. All of it. <laughs> I think they always they were these typical parents that like both my parents are pretty self centered, and I think they just want, they would have really supported me had I been into the same stuff that they were into. But since I wasn't, they were just kind of like, yeah, whatever. Um, you know, they, they mm. didn't really. And by now my mom, I think really likes what we're doing. Um, she's kind of, she's kind of into it. Um, and like with my dad, I just kind of avoid the topic. Cause <laughs> I, I, I just like the music he does. He just likes the music I does. So yeah. we just talk about other things. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, and he doesn't consider it art, right? Because it's, um, yeah. Yeah, I feel like you can't call yourself composers because, you, you know, only people who write classical music are composers. And like what you do is maybe... maybe entertainment. Uh, entertainment. Or or, yeah, like, so it's that typical. He's very... Elitist. Very elitist. elitist. Yeah, yeah. And... Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> didn't struggle with any of that because your family is completely yeah i mean i i grew up i grew up um with with my mom um because my my parents uh, got a divorce when i was pretty little um and my mom is absolutely um <laughs> non-musical not at all not at all negative <laughs> she's like mine is musical but she always supported me like she she um i think what what's really great about her is that that she would really support things that she knows nothing about like if she just um because she just respects people's interests and people's talents so when I, when i was um 11 or so i said i want to learn to play the piano because we had this old piano stand around and she was like all right and then she got me a piano teacher and when the piano teacher someone said you know this is a very bad old piano um can you get a better piano my mom was like, all right, and she bought me a better piano. So she was always very, very supportive. Or like Charlie in the beginning had a, um, had a pretty bad guitar, um, and he had quite some pains when he was, when he was playing. Um, and then he somewhere in a shop found that there was a guitar that felt much, much better, and then my mom actually bought it for him. So um, she, yeah. she doesn't need to understand... Um, yeah, it's funny because it's like the musical family didn't support it. And yeah. Like the non-musical family <laughs> only supported it. But yet yeah, it's, uh, that I think it goes to show that it's the attitude, it's the more, attitude. Than, more than the, yeah, the, the actual like being into the same type of art mm. form. Yeah. It's nice to see you both had that space though to grow. Like your mom and dad did have their own things, but like you said, they left you to grow a bit and you were supported yourself. So they were, so it's nice to have like that with your parents. Yeah, yeah my, my mom was always very supportive and she, she still is, yeah. Um, do you find that social media has changed the music industry? Yes, I think to the better. Um, musicians just now have the possibility to present yeah. directly. Because when we, when we first started in the 90s pre-internet times, um, we we had our own fan club, for example, for Black Lurks, which we ran completely like via mail. It was super expensive. We had uh, about 500 fans worldwide, and we would mail out newsletters. And I mean, it was just cost so much money and effort to do that. And it was so ineffective because most of these people would have never heard our music. They just kind of got into us because we were an LA band and we had some cool pictures. But um, if they couldn't afford to actually buy one of our CDs, um, which we were selling, they they would have never heard us. And it was so, you never knew. I mean, then you would kind of send your stuff to radio stations, but you'd never know if they actually played your songs or not. So it was just so frustrating. You didn't have any data. You didn't really know. You hadn't, you didn't have the possibilities to get your music out there if you didn't have label backing. So you were just so um, yeah. handled on that. And it's funny because now we look at the numbers and we're not, by no means are we, 
big on social media. We have very, very, um, we're just starting out with that and we have like 200 followers or something. But the great thing is that now we, when we look at our Instagram or our Spotify numbers and it says like, yeah, you, you, you know, like you have um, 11 people listening to you last month on Spotify. And we're like, that's amazing. 11 people listen to our music. Like, wow, this, the video has like 250 hits, like 250 people listen to this. Like back in the 90s, that would have been, these numbers would have been good. And now everyone's kind of like, I've stopped 10K, you know, we don't care about it. But yeah, I think, I think it's great. And it's a lot of fun. I, I actually think social media, it's like content for social media. It can be a bit stressful sometimes, but I think it's a lot of fun to, to create content. And uh, we, we were always like that, that we wanted to share our opinions with the world. And we always thought we were really important and our opinions were really important. <laughs> so social media kind of feeds into that because you know, you're oversharing <laughs> opinions all the time. <laughs> <laughs> there's a community coming together now though isn't there it seems yeah, a lot really bigger and it gives you the possibility to exactly the community aspect i think is great you hook up with other musicians and uh and just all across the world with people and it's just so um yeah it's lovely because because you can have that community we have this really great group of people we meet once a month and something that our, our vocal coach started and it's just a bunch of singers from all over the world and we meet once a month and we talk for two hours just about stuff um, that, that in some way or the other is connected to singing and performing and everyone just kind of shares the experiences. And it's like, we've been doing it for a bit over a year and it's like a family. It's like everyone's always super looking forward to it. And I mean, without, um, we, we met her on Instagram. So without social media, like she's in LA, we're in, we're in Hampshire. So like without social media, that would have never happened. So I think it's, there's mm -hmm. a lot of like, negative aspects to it as well, but we, we really experience a lot of positive aspects. And I think the music business is definitely better for independent musicians now than it used to be. Yeah, definitely. It's nice to see a lot more genre as well. People are trying to, you know, there's more space for people to come out now with what their genre is and not so many heavy blocks, not everybody putting them into spaces and boxes. It's... Yeah there's more creativity open and I'm enjoying that myself. Yeah. Um, so what are your plans for the lurks coming up in the next few months? What have we got coming up? Exciting stuff. Yeah, definitely. We have plans. We just hope that our producer <laughs> is going to get into here. <laughs> so, we have, so we've got a new album, which is basically written. And um, we've, we've got, I think, two more songs that we're kind of, working on now that are supposed to go on that album. And the, the demo you're going to play later is going to be going to be on that album. Yeah. Um, and we're very lucky because a friend of ours who's a producer, um, he just retired and he kind of said that he would like to work with us as his retirement <laughs> project. Um, He's going to be his retirement hobby. <laughs> he, he, didn't he didn't say it like no, that. But no, but we say it like that. <laughs> we say it like that. <laughs> and it was, it was pretty cool because he's, he's not just like some producer, but he's, he's really... Um, he's worked with um, the really, yeah, really big he's produced, artists. He's produced The Crew, he's produced Elias Morissette, Meatloaf. Like, he's so really just like a, a, big, a big name in the industry. Yeah. And we're always not sure if he actually wants us to... Um, to, to, to talk about it openly, which is why we don't say his name now. But uh, <laughs> we asked him and he kind of didn't reply. So we kind of like, okay, well, mm. at some point we're going to say who it is. But it's, uh, that it's, is exciting. it's really exciting. And um, we've always been very constrained by money when it came to producing our records. So we, because we do record at home 
um, a lot, but when we actually did then go into the studio, it always had to be the cheapest basically that we could find or just like do everything in three days or like the, the typical things that you fight that you just have to somehow deal with as a as an indie musician so the prospect of working with a, a top class um producer and mixer uh, who we could never afford of course ever, um, if, if he would actually ask money for it um that's just super exciting uh so yeah so that's going to happen this year and then we we hope to be dropping the first song sort of in probably like two or three months time it's of course like it's a bit tricky because since he does it in his free time we kind of of course to, we, we can't we can't we're dependent tell on him like here's, here's the schedule <laughs> exactly right? we can't be like all right we want to release the first song then and <laughs> yeah so that's that's what we've got planned we've got a lot of really good material we're really really excited about it because we we feel that ever since we got back to really doing this professionally we've already come a long way if we listen to music for the planet now for example like i like as a vocalist for example i've been taking vocal lessons and i already now i know that i would perform some of these songs a bit differently and i think they would be even better um so i think like the quality is definitely yeah um, we, we actually we, up. we actually after after we released the album um we got a we got one review um which kind of stuck in my memory and he was uh he was just saying um, that he just sees so much potential and that he he um, thinks that we could be great advocates for our cause if we work um, on our songwriting and if we um, work on, on the vocal performance. And these are just two things we've really worked on massively. So, um, yeah, we, we hope that... Yes, <laughs> yes. It's going to be really good. Um, and we're, apart from that, we're gigging quite a lot, so we're trying to get into a... Uh, a groove where we do regular gigs. We um, are probably going to, most likely going to do a little um, Northern Ireland tour in September, um, which seems random, but it does make sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we're doing uh, a lot of stuff that's just the two of us as a duo because um, our original drummer from Black Lurks, Joe, he lives in Liverpool, so we can only do things with him every now and then. Um, we, we have a good friend down here who plays, who's a very good drummer who played on our EP. Um, and we're kind of hoping that we can persuade her to do some stuff so we can do like the full lineup as well. But in the meantime, the two of us do like a, basically an MTV Unplugged type version. Which of is it. a lot of fun. Yeah, it's we love a lot it. of fun. Um, we we kind of discovered that for ourselves, that, um, that acoustic thing um, because it, um, it showcases such different aspects of the song. It's, um, it's like when you, when you play a song acoustic, um, they're just like different facets that, uh, that you bring out and that appear. Yeah, and that are also there in, in the rock version, but maybe they're just not as no noticeable. So um, it's it's cool to, to have these two versions of one song, the rock version and the acoustic version. We're really enjoying it both. It's nice to get different versions and sometimes you hear one version yourself and then you hear another version in a different way when you hear it again. So but and then also on the words on the take. So yeah, it'd be really good. But it sounds like you're gonna have a nice treat for the producer and for yourselves. Um in the up and coming months. That's nice to hear. 
Um, we're going to take a look now at um, the demo recording um, of your upcoming release, which is called Your Badass, which, like, that's personally my favourite right now. <laughs> I heard oh. the demo yesterday, which you got me, sent me, so I'm really happy to see that. So I'm going to let everybody else take a listen now. Um, you're not going to not enjoy this. It's going to be great. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go.
okay, so we've just listened to your badass. Um, what can you tell us about this up and coming single? We're waiting for it. It kicks ass. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It's um. It, it actually started out because I said I want to write a love song because we'd never um, we'd never written a love written well a, we'd written love songs back way back when we was on and then Paul McCartney that's true yeah but ever since we I got <laughs> troubled with my girl she's so intellectual yeah yeah but I, ever I, since then yeah I think yeah. the last the last love song we had written when we were fourteen years old and then none ever and then I, I someone said I'd like to I'd like to write a love song with our style. Um, and I had just had this conversation um, with, my, with my mom that had left me a little bit angry. <laughs> um, you know, with her partly thinking I'm too radical in my views. So I was really in the mood to, to write a love song for a person um, who is radical and where the admirer would say, you know, but I love that about you. So I just wanted it to be a feel good song for kind of like activist people who maybe just hear that quite often, you know, you'd be more sympathetic if you wouldn't be so radical. Um, so I just wanted to, um, I just wanted to, to um, write a song that was supposed to make the, make people feel strong and, and tell people, you know, it's, it's cool if you're value driven, you know, that's not a bad thing to be. And then I had this guitar riff, which oh, is like I the, love that the main riff. That, I love that. I love that. And, um, and that was there, that just existed apart from, from the song idea. And uh, I, in the beginning, wasn't really inspired for the love song. And then he sent me some lyrics. And then I saw the lyrics and then it made click in my head and was like, that's for that guitar riff. Um, and then I started singing them over the guitar riff and I was like, and I just listened to some Van Halen um, and that's why the, the vocals are so David Lee Roth inspired. Um, and, and, the, and, the, and it just clicked. And, it the, just, and the beginning um, and the, the chorus actually started as a joke. I mean, what we also just do a lot is like, we just like sing bullshit a lot. And, um, so we actually had this, this thing. Hey, corazón me duele, todo el día y toda la noche. And then he kind of started liking it. And, and I was like, like you said in the song. Yeah. And I was like, what? El corazón me duele? And it's like, no, not for these lyrics. <laughs> but the music is cool. <laughs> so that's how that intro kind of came, came into being. That's a really good example of how we write songs, because we just kind of throw things around. And then it all fell into place. Um, and, um, and yeah, then we got some, we got some feedback on it from, um, a very accomplished, uh, music industry person who helped us a little bit to focus the lyrics a little bit better. And, um, yeah, I think now it's really, it's, it's not going to change much, I think, to the, um, as far as sort of what it's, what the feel is going to be like, um, from the demo to the release, it's just going to be a better production with bigger, bigger drums. Um, maybe make it a little bit, even a little bit more heavy, but I think it's going to overall pretty much retain that character and just be a feel-good activist, fun song, and uh, yeah, a lot of fun to perform. I, I, I love singing it because it's not a style that I normally sing in, but it's just so much fun. <laughs> There's lots to play with. I was really 
that like you were saying with it being fun it's not just fun like it you put it all in the right places you can hear where you want to kind of understand the song but then you're going up and feeling that emotion to come back and listen to the words again i was thoroughly enjoying that little roller coaster you put me on very nice Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question now, which is our Nix's podcast question, um, which I'm going to have to ask you on behalf of Mel tonight. So I can't forget it. It's what advice would you give your younger self? I love that question. Yeah, I think we have quite some advice. (laughs) (laughs) Since you're a very young starting. uh, uh, the first thing would be like if we would believe ourselves if we met. I have this Bill and Ted scene in front of my inner eye where like like why would we lie to us, dude? <laughs> yeah, um, I think one thing um, we would tell our younger selves is to learn how to network because that was something we were incredibly bad at. We were like we were saying earlier, we were very much in our own bubble. And we were very convinced of our star potential and that we were that we were the greatest, but we didn't really know how to interact efficiently with the scene around us. I mean, we had extra gone to LA, you know, so obviously we had had that concept of let's go somewhere where cool people are. But then we didn't interact <laughs> with the cool people. It, it was Makes like, <laughs> my favorite story from that is that we were actually nominated a best Hollywood band in the LA Rock City awards in 1997 um so that was cool so obviously people had noticed us and uh, it was the same at that time the nominees for best la band on the same award show were system of a down and that was just when they were coming up and they they were playing a three-song set that night at the awards show and they were just like ripping the roof off the right so it was amazing um so we we went to this award show where we were invited because we were nominees we didn't end up winning it but was cool and there were about a thousand two thousand people there all the whole scene basically the whole LA music scene journalists and other bands and and promoters and so it was a networking event it didn't say that anywhere but it was very obviously clear that you were supposed to talk to people and get you know and everyone was nominated so everyone had a certain like uh, uh, almost like a badge of, of quality attached to them right and so what we did, so we had our little reserved table, and then we just sat at that table all night and watched the gigs and, and just kind of didn't talk to anyone. We had like, and, that was, that and was, then we went home. And then we went home and it was kind of like, ah, oh, shit, we didn't win anything. And then we found the program um, of that awards night some, some weeks ago, and we looked through and looked at the other nominees, and we saw that um, the nominee for best guitarist was DJ Ashba, um, and he also didn't win that night he won the next year um and then we were like oh that's funny like he was in a band called ghost dance back then and then we looked at our i, mean, I, I must say i love his DJ Ashby. massive DJ mm. he's so. like one of my big 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 influences and one of yeah. my favorite favorites and then, then we looked at the seating but, we back still, then, but back then not yet so no no because, back then we didn't know was, him like, yeah because he was not famous yet so <laughs> we had no idea and then we looked at like the plan for like the floor plan for the seating because we're like oh i wonder where ghost fans were sitting and it turns out they were like literally sitting basically beside us <laughs> sitting the next <laughs> man like had we networked back then we could have talked to dj we could have been like oh man dj you also didn't win anything we also didn't win anything we could have bonded over the- we were never going to. A little opportunity there. Yes. <laughs> and that's just so funny because it so sums us up. Like we, we just had no idea. So that would be one one 
advice, network, like reach out to people. Don't think that everyone is against you. We were so we were so aggressive. We were we had we had, we had, had a very difficult youth, but we were just so negative towards people and also towards the music industry. We always just assumed that people wanted to screw us over or just like be, yeah, we were very, very negative. Um, that would be one of, one of my advices right, would like, be, would be accept help. You know, you don't have to do everything on your own. Just like also trust that people will want to help you out and that they're not all against you. Yeah. So that's definitely accept help, learn how to network and, and be aware of oh yes your own perception of time because one thing that I think we did back with Black Lurks is that we kind of gave up on it at a certain point because of different reasons and like lots of shit happened um, and there were good reasons for us that we at that point stepped away from the music business but we also felt like oh we've been trying so long and we still don't have a record contract and it's just so frustrating and to us, it seemed like we had been trying for a long time. But if you look at it now and you kind of look at, you know, that you just need these three to five years, that's just normal to build up momentum and get people to know you. And you just kind of need to stick it out. And I mean, we did the lurks for, we formed them. About four years? In late 95, but that was just in our bedroom. No one knew about it. And then we started gigging in early 97. And then we already disbanded like in late in somewhere in early 2000. So like we, the lurks weren't, they weren't, black lurks weren't around for long. And of course but, we had, of course we had done music for a long time because we started when we were 12. So we had, um, we had yeah. rehearsed and worked hard for about nine years or so. But I mean, the very band Black Lurks, we just, we just hadn't invested a lot of time in it. Yeah, but we thought we did. And we thought we had, already, we, we, we had stuck it out. And we thought that like, it was about time that we hit it big. And I, I think it just wasn't. Like, and had we stuck it out, I think you know, we, we could have totally... And, and, we, we were talking, and we were so. talking about it a while ago. And we think that it's really because we were so young. And I, I think that we just still had those different perception of, of time that kids have. Yeah, like, like when you're a youth, right? That you're like 15, that's like forever. And if, so, or if you're like 16 and they tell you, you can't do that until you're 18, it's like, oh my God, I might as well years. die, you know, because it's two years, it's never going to happen. And, and I, think we, I were, think we were just so we were like totally that. like that. <laughs> so yeah, I think I that's... Think the, I, would, I would try to educate little me about that time feels different to youth than it does to adults. And if an adult says, you know, you have to stick it out, they might mean yeah, seven years or, you know, eight years maybe. They, they don't mean two years. Yeah. <laughs> time does hit away too quickly. And you become more aware of it definitely as you pass a certain age and you look back and you think, you know, what could I have done there? What could I have changed? And sometimes it's about more embracing it. And I dare say like you're saying, you have so much history together. Even though it was hard having that break when you've come back, you still had something to come from because, like you said, you had nine years there of yeah. material and work together, and you already understood each other's style and how you wanted to humbleize all your music together. I I like that. That's really nice how you come together. So, where can we find you? Where can we find your merch? And where can we find you on social media? So we're on Instagram and Facebook at The Lurks. Um, so it's just The Lurks, L-U-R-X-X. 
Um, and we have a really nice website, we a, actually. We have a very nice website where you can actually get all our music and you can get Black Lurks music there as well. And you don't even have to pay for it. That's all for free. Um, and so we, have that, all the, we have all the lyrics there. Um, so there's a lot to discover. And that's the-lurks.com. Um, that's our website. There's, yeah, that, there's massive. You can go on a massive discovery journey <laughs> there. There's everything on there. We do also, we're also at the Lurks um, on TikTok, but we're not really doing the TikTok channel much. So if you're like a TikTok person, you can go there and there is content, but it's not being updated. We're really active on, on Instagram mainly. So and of course we have, follow us there. And of course we have our music videos on YouTube. We're on YouTube, um, we have uh, a Spotify, of course, Apple Music. So we're on all the streaming platforms yeah. um, with Music for the Planet and with our EP Jellyfish Moon, both from last year. And that's also where our new stuff is going to be. Um, but yeah, so we've got it all covered. And we've got... Um, and the website. Yeah, the website is cool. The website that's is very cool. also where you can get the merch. Yeah, there's a shop page on the website. Um, you can get... We actually have some physical CDs from Music for the Planet. So if you're retro and you actually own a CD player, it's a, it's a nice little thing you can get. We've got some... And um, if you're really, really, really retro, we even still have some old CDs from, from the 90s. Like. Yeah. <laughs> so there's some, Our collectors, CD. some collector's yeah. items there. <laughs> I might be going there and getting some. <laughs> I'm already after your peas and love t-shirt. That's brilliant. I love that. It's got a right spin. <laughs> Um, is there anything else you'd like to say to everybody listening tonight? Um, well, if you are listening tonight, thank you so much for listening to us ramble on for uh, for so long. It was so nice. Um, really, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having us on. Um, and yeah, I, I hope that it will inspire some people to listen to our music and get into our message. That would be the best thing that, that could come out of that. Um, um, yep, don't kill the slug, kiss the slug. Yeah, kiss the slug. <laughs> I'm going to take that with me everywhere now. <laughs> and not, not hurt them in my home. <laughs> okay, thank you ever so much for coming today and having a good chat with, with us. Um, we've got a copy of the interview as soon as we get it all on our streaming platforms, which we'll get to yeah. you, um, and we can get that out to everybody. Okay. So thank you very much for joining Nix's podcast today. Don't forget to catch us on Facebook, Spotify, Linktree and Discord. And obviously thank you for the lurks coming here tonight. And thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.